0: How do we mobilize funding for the efforts that are not working within the current system, who are potentially being prophetic or bold enough to blow up the system, that they're not working in the interests of the system and therefore need a different kind of funding? Welcome to a special CEO.world podcast series Money and Power with Joy Anderson, founder of the Criterion Institute, and Vicky Saunders, founder of CEO. Systems and patterns of power and money are sometimes hard to see. Joy and Vicky identify the systems that make up this world and the money and power dynamics within them so that we can better understand how to transform our world.
1: Good morning, everyone. I'm here with Joy Anderson from Criterion Institute. And today we are going to talk about the rules that are attached to funding that keep the world the way it is and how we might shift those or deconstruct and look at what does it mean to have unrestricted funding? Do people even notice the rules that are attached to funding that are out there and to money? I've been wanting to talk about this for many weeks. So I'm super excited to be here. We also have COVID going on, racial riots in the U.S., and there's a lot of other things going on, swirling around this conversation. So welcome, Joy. Happy to be here with you. Hey, always happy to be here with you. I started this morning and I said, I was having coffee with my husband downstairs and I said, uh, I have to go upstairs and be with Joy. And he said, that sounds like a good way to start the day. (laughs) (laughs) I need to go do Joy to start my day. I'm like, yeah, there you go. Everyone should have a joy conversation to kick it off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I remember actually once I was at a, SVS, a social Venture Network conference and they were doing some woo-woo thing in a women's group where we were all supposed to think about the word that defines our essence. <laughs> like I sat there, I was like, my name is Joy. Like just <laughs> That's all I that's it. Mic drop.
1: Done. Next. What do you think I'm on the planet for? All right. So on that note. Having had a lot of experience as an entrepreneur and a a creator of initiatives and projects and programs that often needed to get some support outside funding to get off the ground, I just feel like I've seen behind the curtain for so long about how things are traditionally funded and how that kind of leads to a structure that you end up creating. And then at the end of the thing that you've created, you're like, oh, damn. I did it again. Like, I feel like I started so many things where the money drives where you end up going with the structure because of reporting and other things. And then you get to the end of the road and you're like, damn, this is not systemic change because now I'm stuck with funders who want me to do something that's not related to the the social or the systemic change I want to
0: digression on that.
1: Because we are just starting. Why not?
0: <laughs> then you're going to move into your full-on rant. But we used to do this thing called Structure Lab. We had a workshop for entrepreneurs who were trying to think about, should they be for-profit or not-for-profit? <laughs> it was hysterical. Something like 95% of the time that there was a problem, it was because somebody created a structure for their funder. Exactly. For me, it's it's there's all kinds of reasons that you should choose between being a for-profit or not-for-profit. For a while, it became... This foundation promised me a potential grant. And so I need to have a nonprofit structure. Okay, but you're two partners trying to start a company equally. Don't you think you should try equity first? And it was mind numbing how many mistakes were driven by that moment. So just wanted to back you up on that. I think I could actually turn that into like evidence and shit.
1: Yeah, no, good. Evidence is good. And I also would like to just say that's a false construct, like for-profit and not-for-profit. Like Those are made-up things which actually don't even serve us anymore because we're blending so many things. And that's that's what sort of hit me with CEO. I wanted CEO to sit in a for-profit entity because I believe, after like doing a ton of innovation for many decades, that that is the freest structure. And so I wanted to be in the freest structure to get this off the ground. And then we couldn't get lawyers and accountants to agree on whether or not we could actually put it in this structure because would we be taxed on activator contributions right off the top and lose 30%? And they couldn't agree. So we ended up putting it in a not-for-profit structure, which then created a bit of challenge because then it's hard to raise core funding because we're not a charity. We're in this weird Canadian middle ground and not-for-profit structure. Thank God. That'll, that's a whole other podcast. and we will talk about that right now. But I knew from the very beginning of CEO that I needed to have unrestricted capital in order to create the innovation behind this. And what I kept seeing was company comes along. I really care about entrepreneurs. Like, you know, we care about women entrepreneurs. We want to sponsor you. And then their sponsorship is tied to our VP wants to stand in front of every event you do and talk for 15 minutes about how we're the bank for women. And I'm like, "Mm, no, thank you. That's not true and we are an authentic brand, so we can't do that. And, or we want to quote unquote, I don't know how many times people have heard this on the podcast. We want to own something. What can we own of CEO quote unquote? So you have to like slice and dice all of your work to create a little pocket that someone can own that you don't care that much about basically so that they can own it right? Because there's this old thing about like, I'm putting money towards something. So I have to own a piece of this as opposed to like signing up for the transformation, which doesn't exist out there. I still can't believe how bold I was at the beginning of this thing. I led with this like 10 slide deck of like all the things you weren't going to get to one organization, a bank in Canada. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't have this. You can't touch our comms. You can't give us advice on this. You can't get reports. I want a two-page contract. You
0: can't put your name on a building.
1: <laughs> exactly. All these things. And the person's like, totally get it. You're literally doing the opposite of what we've done for 20 years. We want to come on this journey and see what it's like. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, who am I talking to? Oh my God, that's amazing. Then we got off the ground. So we had unrestricted funding and I literally didn't have to write a report for three years. To explain how we were doing things, to say, did we hit our numbers? Because we didn't. We didn't hit our numbers like three years in a row. And all of this unintended consequence and greatness was happening underneath the surface, but still it wasn't what we said we were gonna do. And therefore, if we had had normal funding, we would have been shut down. That gift of unrestricted capacity to play was just so amazing. And it's only now that I'm realizing how incredibly powerful that was. Like I got it way back then, but now we have a bunch of restricted capital. And funding coming in and it's a freaking nightmare. I have like we're sitting writing insane reports that have no value that are gonna sit on a shelf that people are barely gonna glance at because they quote unquote bought these outcomes from us. It's so crazy. And so I was at an event, this is the end, I'm coming to the end. No, no
0: I'm <laughs> I was getting yeah. angrier. I'm just okay. sitting here yeah. boiling like it's about to actually, you know, bubble up.
1: And you know, we've got to five countries in five years, 5,500 activators, funded 68 women-led ventures, all working on the world's to-do list, like all of these impossible, awesome, delicious things. And I was at an event recently with a bunch of impact investor types. And someone came up to me and said, wow, it's so amazing what CEO has achieved in five years. Like, It's just great. How have you done that? And I looked at this person. I'm like, we didn't take any of your funding. That's how we got here. We had unrestricted capital to be able to build this. you actually said that to them? Yes, because I'm never going to get their money. They're never going to give us money. So that's fine. I can say that, but I'm not worried about it. Right. If you live in a world of scarcity, you're like, oh, you could never say that. But this is the unlocking moment we're in right now. People want the same outcome. They want the outcome of what we've built, but they want it done their way. That makes no sense. None at all. There comes a time we are all starting to understand that there are all these structural inequities and systemic barriers to creating the transformation we want in our existing structures. And the people who have the capital need to actually release a little bit of that to see how we could do things differently. If we want to get to a different world, we really need to have capital to play with a little bit. No one's going to be able to say, three years from now, I'm going to hit this many activators. If you can do that, you're literally not following the energy of what wants to happen with your system. Locking all of those pieces down and saying in advance what you're going to do is a crazy mechanistic, doesn't exist kind of mindset that just has to go away because it's created the world that we're in. That's it. I'm going to pause now. Can you like quote all the studies and tell me why that's right? (laughs)
0: Oh my gosh, I just got like I wrote down like 85 topics for us to talk about as a result of this. One, just a pause to say like, I, I think um why I love that you and I are having this conversation is that both of us have enough power in the world to be a, we have enough privilege to be able to even have this conversation without the danger that many people would face. In the end, I've proven no matter what risks I take, I'm gonna probably land on my feet without that much risk because I've got safety nets. These are just kind of a couple caveats on this conversation. One is, I think you and I sit in a place of privilege where no matter how frustrating this is for us, it isn't actually dangerous for us at the same level as it is for other people. Does that make sense?
1: It really does. And I also, yes, just to say, I am 55 years old, and it took me till now to actually create, to show, that unrestricted capital could have different outcomes. I have been trying to do that my whole life. And I've just been like, I'll go get this grant and I'll do what we really want to do. And I'll deliver their outcomes too. Like, that's what I've been doing for decades. And this time I did it. I started clean and fresh from the beginning because I had that influence.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I get that. And I think the second thing is, you were saying this morning, how many people who are are writing checks, and and I saw an amazing post from Morgan Simon this morning about where to write checks, right, at this moment. And my entire reaction is, why weren't you writing fucking checks last week? We love writing checks when the moment is super clear, the need is right in front of us, and we can respond. And there is something about the, now I'm going to show up because we've gotten to a level of crisis that I can tangibly see. So Omidyar just announced that they've been giving out a set of grants in response to COVID, which I'm glad for, right? Omidyar has moments in which they're a truly smart breakthrough organization. But they fall in the category of a strategic philanthropy. And that, for me, is one first thread within this. Two things that I'm going to put next to each other, and and there's just so much to work through on this. So we get to play this out bit by bit, I guess. But one is to sort of say the, the the need for people to see simplicity and concreteness in what they fund, because it's more palatable, tangible, trustworthy tell me how many things i'm going to get for the money that i give you if i don't know how many things i'm going to get for the money that i give you or you know tell me how much exactly you're going to grow for this investment that i'm giving you or whatever measurement we're, we're putting in place requires us to simplify down to the level of a output or overly simplistic outcome that is understandable. So so that's one thing. And then in response to that came the rise of strategic philanthropy. We ended up with these moments where people said things are more complicated. We need to do long-term funding on big strategic issues. So we came out with a whole series of approaches and studies and books on strategic philanthropy, which was in some ways intended to be in opposition to this Jump from issue to issue, fund specific activities versus fund a longer term vision. But strategic philanthropy was so encrusted in a privileged power dynamic of the foundations, then, started setting the agenda in all of the places where we needed to be doing complex systemic change we ended up with a concentration of power that was mind-numbing. The first time in my life that I had a foundation request for money back, literally, I've given you a grant and I'm asking for that money back, was with a foundation, this was about seven or eight years ago, and they were one of the strategic organizations, and they had determined that our work didn't align with their theory of change halfway through the grant and decided that we should give back the rest of the money because they were going in a different direction. I will say that also happened to us last week in the middle of a pandemic as a foundation asked us to return $50,000 because. Yeah, because. Yeah, anyway. Sorry, that was a small digression, but shit, this stuff can be hard. Still feeling
1: it in my body, she says.
0: (laughs) So we end up with strategic philanthropy and the power concentrations within that. We're writing a white paper right now about comparing the development of the field of gender lens investing to the field of climate finance, to be able to analyze the power dynamics. This sounds so wonky when I say it, but it's so important, right? We're we're analyzing the power dynamics in these two different fields to be able to look at how fields get built or how movements get built, how coordinated efforts get built, whatever they are, right? For me, a field is like a set of activity where there's a set of organized actors who are trying to intentionally define a space of activity. So gender lens investing has been funded about the same way that philanthropy funds gender issues, which is 3% of overall philanthropy goes explicitly to women's issues.
1: Wow. What is with this 3% number? We have to do a 3% kind of podcast at some point. It's everywhere.
0: It's either 19% or 3%, but we can't seem to get to 4 or 20%.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why we're laughing. It's deeply depressing.
0: Here's the number that just makes my strategic philanthropy point. So in the last 10 years, Climate Works, for me, it's an organization that represents that concentration of power, where a set of foundations came together and said, we are going to aggregate our funding in one place to be super duper duper strategic and lay out the roadmap of 10 years and have that long-term horizon. billion of philanthropic money went to Climate Works, and then a bunch of that went out in grants. So it's not like they spent all of that. $1.2 billion. We were actually talking the other day about this grant that you and I are both working on, which would be a $5 million grant to the field of gender-led investing. And that is the biggest grant that any of us can think of. And here is one organization that over 10 years had $1.2 billion. Now, granted, not all of that went to finance, but they have a whole division within Climate Works that is focused on finance. So it's not that I want that money. Climate Works was starting exactly at the same time that we were starting the field of gender-led investing. And I didn't want that concentration of power. I didn't want Criterion to be Climate Works. I didn't want that money. Not that it was offered to us, but the goal was not to say one concentrated agenda that everybody gets on board with, but rather you all are gender lens investing, go do cool shit.
1: You talk a lot in some of our past podcasts around our financial imagination, our real inability to get out of like the structure we're in. And so to me, it feels like we took the monopolistic thinking of the capital markets essentially. And then we just moved that over to philanthropy thinking, oh, well, let's just do this over here. So like mass mergers, just put more money together. And when Gates took in that funding from Buffett, all of a sudden they couldn't do smaller grants anymore, right? The cost of giving was too high. So now it's like, you know, $50 million grants are the norm. And having too much capital is also a problem because it's harder to get money to really interesting innovations that are emerging. And we have now got ourselves to a missing middle. In our capital markets, in our philanthropic structures, and global philanthropy, where it's like hundred million dollar bets, or tiny little fifty thousand dollar things that can't get lifted up, because they can't they can't get to scale. There's a whole piece missing there. Or to your point, like let's give people a long term grant give. I even hate this word give. Let's commit a long term grant to this issue and trust. Here's my big word trust. What is that? Trust people who have been working on this as their life's work to go and innovate and report in on what they're learning as they go versus have them say in advance, here's what's going to happen. Look, this is a completely broken structure. We have to actually experiment and try new things and trust that we'll be very capital efficient with that money. We demonstrated this for funders in a way, without even really thinking about it, we're so meta micro on all these things at CEO. That's what we're doing with ventures. They come in, we say there's $500,000 on the table, divide it up amongst all of you, use it for the highest and best impact. And we'll trust that you'll pay it back and deliver something of good. Go. And then we're all here. If you need us, call us if you want some help. That's the thing. We need the same level for funding these kinds of innovations. We believe that Joy and Suzanne and Lori and Jackie and all these people that are working on this issue have been working on it for 10 years, have been working on it for 15, 20 years, have deep relationships in communities, and will allocate this capital to create the kind of change we need. And actually, now is really the moment to step back and say, over to you. Thank you for doing this work. We're here to support. As opposed to, hey, Joy, could you? And all of these people go and spend 65 days of your time creating a three-year grant with your theory of change locked down, with everything in advance set as milestones. Like now is the moment to go, excuse me, write us a $5 million check. Stand back and watch, please. Thank you. We are not filling out your boxes. Not happening. And yes, I know that's a privileged thing to say, but we if we don't do this, who's going to do this? We had to push back at funders and do that. Not just because I don't like filling out forms, which I don't, because why? Why am I filling out forms? And it doesn't mean that we should just get money and you know fly off to the moon. It's much more, we have to experiment. We have to try new things. And anything that you present as a fait accompli before you start can't possibly be working hard enough towards something, breakthrough ideas. It's going to be an incremental thought that people can actually understand.
0: Man, there's a lot of issues in funding, right? So, I so many.
1: I forgot to say up front that this is just part one of a 10-part series.
0: <laughs> well, I will also say, I mean, in the continued caveat world, I'm still blown away that people give their money away. I still think that's cool, too. Anybody who takes out a check and writes it, I'm glad for them. I, I'm glad that they decided that instead of the money being theirs, it should be somebody else's. What I hope I never get to is, um, and in US philanthropy is, I think, different than most of the other countries in this, but like I think we end up in a place where they should have given more money away or they should have given their money away differently. So, one, I do just want to honor, I think it's cool when people are generous. I absolutely 100% agree. And I worry about social change movements, especially organizations that are funded to create complex systems level change or social change. I think there's two categories, sorry. I feel like I'm babbling through a bunch of this because there's so many different issues and I want to actually honor them, but focus on one, right? So there is a set of things around what's necessary to deliver the mail day in and day out and make sure there's enough basic services for people to be able to thrive and, and do the things we need to. I believe all of that's important. That will be podcast number 16. But the piece I want to focus in on is the sustained funding for complex systems change. How do we get funding? How do we mobilize funding for the efforts that are not working within the current system who are potentially being prophetic or bold enough to blow up the system? To transform the system for the better, for all. (laughs) better word today, that they're not working in the interests of the system and therefore need a different kind of funding. Thank you. That's really helpful. Standing in the face of power, there are so many leaders who want to be able to do that, but can't. And I actually believe there's a lot of philanthropists for whom that's what they wish they were funding. And I actually think where I'll disagree with you is in a little bit in that instead of stand back, where Criterion gets to our abundance is actually our favorite, favorite, favorite thing is for somebody to write us a check for $5,000 or $10,000 that's unrestricted. And then work with
1: us. Yes, that to me is my dream situation too, which is like finding someone who's super curious about. Wow, this is so different. I want to be part of this. I want to get engaged in it. Either that or the stand back, but not the like. How come you're doing this? And what about this? And there's ugh, there's so many layers to play with on this. But to walk in the door, we are fundamentally different. We're not just here to deliver 16 workshops to women entrepreneurs this year. That's not why we're here. We're here to transform systems, and therefore that is a different kind of activity. Than a lot of other people who are doing work that may look similar to what we're doing. And if you don't articulate that up front, and if there isn't actually a pot of capital that is for that kind of thing, which there hasn't been, then you're stuck with the same rules. But yeah, I, I really do appreciate that because if you walk in and go, we're not, yeah, we look like this and that's how we're fitting into your thing. But actually it's to the detriment of our organization. If we try and present ourselves, like we fit in this little piece.
0: I actually say that sustained funding for complex systems change of people trying to challenge the system, not only work within it. It's actually, Criterion's 18 years old, right? We've had four funding models. It's kind of useful to run through them, right? We started as a consulting firm because a lot of people can get freedom from being consultants. And we started right at the time that Anderson was breaking apart, so 2002, but a couple of big consulting firms were breaking apart and you had all of these people who were basically like, I'm going to charge $2,500 a day and then I'll have freedom to for the rest of my life, do the innovative work I want to because I get paid $2,500 a day. Well, the business model doesn't actually quite work like that. You have to spend the same amount of time selling that $2,500 a day and then you have to do all the packaging that lets you earn that $2,500 a day. But for the first six years or first five years, that was our business model. And then I was like, damn, this is weird because consulting to all kinds of organizations, and I'm asking them to do the thing and fund me to work with them on the thing so that this thing can happen. You know, we'd find a gap. And we actually were looking at refinance at the time and working with a big pension fund and we're like, you should do this. And they're like, not our mission. I'm like, no, you really should. And they're like, you do it. Consulting had limits because you had to have the people who would be willing to do the thing. And I found I was crossing an unethical line of actually encouraging people to do the thing that I thought needed to get done because I didn't want to do it myself. So spent the next five years launching seven companies because I thought, you know the thing that's gonna work, then it was two thousand and seven and two thousand and six, and I guess this was all the way back to two thousand and five. or like, you know what you do is you build a business and then that business spins off so much revenue that you're free to do whatever you want. Well, of course, that's a load of hoodinky also, because the business takes so long to spin off that much revenue. And in the meantime, you really figure out that you're serving the business. So we launched a venture fund. That was really cool, but I was selling a venture fund. I wasn't changing the world. I was, I mean, we did some cool things with it, but eventually I had to be that product. And so then we started getting, tried to be a convening company, right? Hosted conferences, that glows. I mean, like, unless you are the most efficient machine at conferences, those don't make money. Then finally started getting philanthropic dollars From people who wanted us to play this field building role. Sorry, this feels like a quick history, but, and then then I shifted to be a nonprofit, not for funding reasons, but because I actually wanted, I had been a for profit for about 13 years before I shifted to be a nonprofit. I wanted to be a nonprofit because I wanted people to stand with me and not wonder what my dog in the fight was. I kept being asked, but how are you in the end going to make money on this? And I kept saying, I just want to do the work.
1: And people don't understand that exactly the same thing that I've done too, right? You start with that partly because it's also nonprofit work isn't considered important. It wasn't. So you put yourself in a for-profit structure and you're like, I'll just be like, you know, do you think that every systems change entrepreneur goes through the same thing, by the way, during our cycle of timing our age range because I literally I could just put the same chart on a piece of paper and I did exactly the same with thing with all of because you know you start and you're like I want to solve this issue but like I don't want to be considered not important so I'm not I'm gonna be for profit and then you're like oh this is really hard that doesn't make sense and then I could do this and I have to gather people and create relationships. So let's do the event org and like all those pieces. And then at the end of the day you're like wait a minute I'm just gonna create this change and then people go, does it really matter though? Because you're not making money right now. I felt I honestly felt so much shame in having to ask, quote unquote, for money, having been a for-profit entrepreneur my whole life. When I started CEO and realized, actually, we're going to need capital to get from here to here before this actually creates the wealth that I know that it will, that we will reinvest in this ecosystem. And you're going to have to go ask people for money. And I'm like, I didn't want to do that because I don't like the rules. I hate the rules. There's someone else overlording me and I have to go there and like... Explain to them in their language, which I know is tied to the old system, that this idea is going to work and I have to fit in their boxes and I never do. And then I just feel like crap about myself. And there's something wrong with me. And like I'm not being creative enough to present this in a way they can get. Like, what the hell? This is so well designed to bring us down. (laughs) It really is so hard. We have to break through this craziness.
0: So, what I love about that moment, because I actually love asking. people to give us money because it is so often and and maybe i love it in certain terms right i love it when i am offering people a moment to co-conspire and think about creating something different and sometimes those people are sitting in places where there's complex forms to fill out at which point we have hysterical conversations about the forms and I've learned to respect the form and make sure there's enough people on my team who can fill them out, although it, my teammates hates the forms more than me, maybe.
1: Oh my God, hashtag respect the form, not, okay.
0: Respect the form <laughs> as the system in which we're working. And, th- and this was my choice, right? It is fucking hard to have the system to pay to have a system change. But if you decide, as I sometimes have, to stay out of the system, then you don't have the resources of the system. So there is this scheme that is required, scheming and never lying and never not ethical and never misappropriating money, never. But working with the people in the system who have power, who have access, and who can walk you through that. I have a couple people in my life who are bureaucracy whisperers, and they sit in these big systems. And so I know that I can do that. I am willing to take the risks. I am aware of my privilege. And so I am aware, I am willing to lose it all, you know, navigating all of this. What I worry about, though, is what's the pathway for other people?
1: Yeah, there's timing to what you're saying, too, right? Like, when do you do that? When are you engaging? with the system. Because oftentimes, like, I wouldn't call that the starting point. If you're just getting going and you don't have a history or track record in this space, I think it's way harder. Like, you have to show first, build all that up before you can go engage with the system funders often.
0: I suppose. But then how can I use my power more effectively to make sure that I'm providing air cover for those other people who want it? Exactly. One is, I'm glad for everybody who works here who gets exposed, and we have an, a delightful revolving door at Criterion of people who go off and do amazing things. You know, I just realized the other day that I'm 15 years older than everybody who works here, which is great. <laughs> but, like, that's part of the point, right? How do we get enough people who have a taste of it? We let anybody volunteer who wants to. They can. Use our name, especially when people are unemployed or trying to do different things. Can they use our name? We're trying to create a couple pockets within gender lens investing to be able to let people try new things. And I worry a lot about that right now. In we need to be doing the same thing around all forms of, I happen to focus more on gender than other issues, other sort of structural inequity systems. But what are we doing? right now to fund the organizations working on racial justice in the United States in such a way this isn't going to get ended by these projects. And so what are people doing to set up the bold leaders who can continue to push on this? I I look at like Van Jones Life, who's one of the remarkable leaders in the U.S., but like he used to run a relatively small nonprofit in a really scrappy way. And he figured out how to navigate a system of power. And delightfully now, thank goodness, he he has more. But how are we creating those systems so that people who don't have the privilege to navigate the system the way that I do, who don't have enough powerful friends, they're not white, they're not educated in the, they don't have 85 degrees, I went three. But anyway, they don't have all of the markers. How do we create systems that let them speak truth to power with lead risk?
1: We're seeing lots of examples of that starting to emerge now, right? Where there's leadership cohorts coming together. It's certainly happening in the political sphere. That's how AOC got pulled into that whole community, right? I can't remember what the name of the organization is at the moment. We need to do the same thing for complex systems transformation. We have learned a lot doing this work over the last 25 years. And to bring together people in community who are deeply interested in this. I mean, we're seeing this every day with people who are activators in the CEO network who come in because they want to do systems transformation and they're learning. They're going through this process together. We're seeing the blocks that are there. You start to peel off the layers of the onion and, and understand what's underneath it. I mean, that's something that I'm quite interested in doing. And sounds like you're you've been doing this for a long time as well, is how do you build that capacity in others? That's the greatest leadership moment that we have. We started one podcast series on power. This is part of it too, but this we need to do more on this. Stay tuned for next week <laughs> as we dig in a bit deeper because we've actually come to the end of our hour, which is shocking. One of the things I learned from you today, which I think was really helpful, is this framing around the kind of capital and support and funding you need for complex systems change. The framing of that up front versus just the, I'm in a nonprofit structure, therefore what are all the funding mechanisms for nonprofits? That's a different level of nuance that needs to be articulated to start the conversation in a different way to get people to listen differently so that you can present something differently. But if you walk in going, oh, this org funds women entrepreneurs, therefore, that's, it's not the same thing. It's apples and oranges, right? And so thank you for that because I think that the framing is really helpful and that is you are the goddess of framing for sure. Stay tuned for the next round. All right.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Money and Power series on the sheo.world podcast with Vicki Saunders and Joy Anderson. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite listening platform. To learn more, go to sheo.world and criterioninstitute.org.